What up, everybody? Just a little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available wherever you get your books and ebooks. You can head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, to get 20% off. Go get your copy now. St. Oscar Romero once said, We must not seek the child Jesus in the pretty figures of the Christmas cribs. We must seek him among the undernourished children who have gone to bed at night with nothing to eat, among the poor newsboys who will sleep covered with newspapers and doorways. Welcome to the 121st episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that we will find Jesus in those who are suffering around us, not in the comfortable and easy times, but in those around us who need someone to suffer with them. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. Selena Gomez has made news talking about how ditching social media has improved her mental health. We'll start with CNN for context. Selena Gomez was dubbed Queen of Instagram as the most followed celebrity on the social media platform back in 2016. Now Gomez says she's not been on the internet for four and a half years. Wow, it has changed my life completely, and I'm happier, I'm more present, I connect more with people, Gomez said. I understand how powerful the internet is, and in so many ways, it's been the best thing for the world. But for me, I get the news that's actually important through the people in my life. The singer, actress, producer who has more than 300 million followers on Instagram is promoting Wondermind, a mental health platform she helped found. Gomez, who has been outspoken about her challenges, including having bipolar disorder, said the goal is to make resources available to those in need. Back to me. I think it's absolutely wonderful to hear about celebrities doing serious work to help those of us experiencing mental health symptoms. It remains to be seen if this new platform will do that, however. I think the way Selena Gomez talks about how she manages her mental health how she was able to walk away from all the attention on Instagram for the sake of her emotional well-being, it all goes a long way toward making it easier for those of us who look up to her to talk about our own mental health. So that's a really big deal. Here's to hoping we can all take a cue from her and take a break from social media whenever we recognize it's getting to be too much for us. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to St. Crescencia Haas. Born in 1682 in Germany, Maria Crescencia Haas was the sixth of eight children, only three of whom survived into adulthood. She became a weaver, but always desired to enter the local convent of the Franciscans. Since her family was poor, however, her father didn't have the money needed to pay the dowry for one wanting to enter the order, and she was not admitted. Interestingly, the Protestant mayor of the town did the community a huge service by purchasing a tavern located right next door to the cloister that was always causing the nuns problems, and when they offered to pay him 
back, he requested only that they admit Maria Crescentia into the convent instead. According to Wikipedia, the superior accepted the mayor's request, but resented it and referred to Anna as a parasite. According to Franciscan media, the community felt it was forced into receiving her, and her new life was made miserable. She was considered a burden and assigned nothing other than menial tasks. Even her cheerful spirit was misinterpreted as flattery or hypocrisy. Back to me. She was actually kicked out of the cell that was initially given to her, and she had had to beg sisters to allow her to sleep in their corner of the room from night to night. Thankfully, in 1707, when a new superior was elected, Crescentia's life improved, and at this point, she was a prolific letter writer who sent letters to people in high social positions in which she provided advice and comfort. Again, Franciscan media, bodily afflictions and pain were always with her. First, it was headaches and toothaches. Then she lost the ability to walk, her hands and feet gradually becoming so crippled that her body curled up into a fetal position. Amazingly, she was elected the superior in 1741 and served in this position until her death on Easter Sunday, 1744. When we take a look at the life of St. Crescentia, we find a woman who has held back because of poverty, a woman who was bullied and tortured by those who should have been helping her, and a woman who experienced intense physical health issues that eventually left her paralyzed. And through all of that, we all also find a woman of incredible faith, deep knowledge and intellectual ability, and now a woman who can pray for all of us in our needs before the presence of God. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Grant, O God, that love and suffering may grow hand in hand in me, so that I may love you more and more with the cheerful disposition which is the fruit of love. O Lord, only grant me love for you, and I shall be rich enough. I desire only that you leave me to my nothingness, and that you alone, if I may say so, be all in all and loved and honored by everybody. I wish to take pleasure in nothing but only in you and your love. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets to help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Chelsea gets us started. Can you talk about the ties between mental health and theology of the body and person? Our church has started up a pub theology program, and the pastoral assistant, who just wrapped up a four-part TOB series, mentioned something about the tie between the two during his talk, and I was interested in what the link was. Well, let's start by joining together in prayer for parishes throughout our church that everything that's presented from theology of the body to marriage preparation to anything else always seeks to help people feel loved, understood, and that they are a part of a supportive community. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Well, thanks for this question, Chelsea. I'll start by admitting that I am no TOB expert while I've picked up some bits here and there, uh, and I feel like I have an extremely general gist. The only time I actually tried to read it, I got lost pretty quickly, so let's start with some general definitions and go from there. We'll initially go with Wikipedia. Theology of the Body, or TOB, is the topic of a series of 129 lectures given by Pope John Paul II during audiences between September 5th, 1979 and November 28th, 1980. 
1984. It constitutes an analysis on human sexuality. In Theology of the Body, John Paul II intends to establish an adequate anthropology in which the human body reveals God. He examines man and woman before the fall, after it, and at the resurrection of the dead. He also contemplates the sexual complementarity of men and women. He explores the nature of marriage, celibacy, virginity, and expands on the teachings in Humana Vitae on contraception. According to author, for, author Christopher West, the central thesis of John Paul's Theology of the Body is that, quote, the body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world, the mystery hidden since time immemorial in God, and thus to be a sign of it, end quote. Back to me. If we look at what John Paul II was teaching through this lens, that the body makes visible, what is invisible, that it was created to bring the mystery of our souls and uh, our internal selves into the visible world, we can start to see the connections that we might be able to make to mental health. Growing up as a Catholic in the 90s, I'm hesitant to try to make TOB fit into everything since I've experienced so many people trying to make John Paul's teachings fit into whatever they'd like to talk about. However, I think there are some insightful thoughts and quotes provided by the National Catholic Partnership on Disability that can help us here. First, Human life is sacred. Every person is created in God's image. A person's dignity and worth cannot be diminished by any condition, including mental illness. John Paul II once said, Whoever suffers from mental illness always bears God's image and likeness in themselves, as does every human being. In addition, they always have the inalienable right not only to be considered as an image of God and therefore as a person, but also to be treated as such. Next, the pain and suffering of mental illness is real, but so is hope. Again, John Paul II said, Christ took all human suffering on himself, even mental illness. Yes, even this affliction, which perhaps seems the most absurd and incomprehensible, configures the sick person to Christ and gives him a share in his redeeming passion. Third, we are the body of Christ and accompany one another in living with mental illness and recognize the unique importance of a loving family. Here we turn to the bishops of California who said in a letter, those living with a mental illness should never bear those burdens alone, nor should their families who struggle heroically to assist their loved ones. We Christians must encounter them, accompany them, comfort them, and help bear their burdens in solidarity with them, offering our understanding prayers and tangible and ongoing assistance. And last, the word of God affirms the dignity of all people. Interpretation of scripture should be consistent with current understandings of mental illness. The bishops of New York shared in a letter, We have no better example of how to respond to those with mental illness than that of Jesus Christ. Time and again throughout the New Testament, we encounter our Lord's mercy toward this population. The curing of this affliction in men, women, and children was a central part of Jesus' healing ministry. Always we saw him engage these individuals in the same way he would engage anyone else, with tenderness. We are called to do no less. So back to me, I think that helps us understand how TOB and mental health might connect and how we might go about discussing the two in relation to each other, especially as we help people to understand how their dignity and value as individuals isn't impacted by their symptoms or mental health experiences or how important it is for us to develop communities of support for all those in need. Anonymous is up next. Can you talk about how to help a family member struggling with alcoholism? Let's start by joining in prayer together for Anonymous, for their family, for everyone experiencing substance use disorders, for connection to compassionate support, and for healing. Hail Mary, 
full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I'm really grateful that you brought this question up and that you're looking for ways to help in what sadly so often can feel like a helpless situation. But there is hope. There is help out there. And let's start by talking about what family members can do. We always like to start with definitions around here. So we'll look to discoveryplace.com or .info rather for some help. The DSM-5 lists 11 symptoms that can be used to determine if a person has alcohol use disorder. Here we go. Alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. There is a persistent desire or unsuccessful effort to cut down on alcohol use. A great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. Craving or a strong desire to or urge to use alcohol. Recurrent alcohol use resulting in a failure to fulfill major obligations at work, school, or home. Continued alcohol use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused by or exacerbated by the effects of alcohol. Important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of alcohol use. Recurrent alcohol use in situations in which it is physically hazardous. Alcohol use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by alcohol. Tolerance, as defined by either the following, A, a need for markedly increased amounts of alcohol to achieve intoxication or desired effect, or B, a markedly diminished effect with continued use of the same amount of alcohol. Withdrawal, as manifested by either of the following, A, the characteristic withdrawal syndrome for alcohol, B, alcohol or a closely related substance such as benzodiazepine is taken to relieve or avoid withdrawal symptoms. Okay, so back to me. I want to emphasize here that substance use disorders are a medical illness that require treatment. It's vital that we remember this. If we see substance use disorders as nothing more than a personal choice, we start to demonize the individual rather than seek to help them find wellness from the illness. And that doesn't get us anywhere good. Next, let's go to Very Well Mind to get some tips on how to help our suffering loved ones. First, free yourself from blame. It's common for someone with alcohol use disorder or AUD to try to blame their drinking or circumstances on others around them, including those who are closest to them. It's common to hear them say, the only reason I drink is because of you. Don't buy into it. Next, don't take it personally. When someone with alcohol dependency promises that they'll never drink again, but a short time later they're back to drinking as much as always, it is easy to take the broken promises and lies personally. You might think, if they really love me, they wouldn't lie to me. If your loved one has become addicted to alcohol, however, their brain chemistry may have changed to the point that they are completely surprised by some of the choices they make. Next, understand they'll need outside help. Substance use disorders are a primary chronic and progressive disease that sometimes can be fatal. No matter your background or expertise, your your loved one will likely need outside help. Next, don't accept unacceptable behavior. Accepting unacceptable behavior usually begins with some small incident that you brush off with. They just had too much to drink. But the next time, the behavior may get a little worse and then even worse. Next, have reasonable expectations. If the person is incapable of even being honest with themselves, it may not be reasonable to expect them to be honest with you. Next, stay focused on the present. Don't allow the disappointments and mistakes of the past to affect the choices that you make today. Circumstances have probably changed. 
Next, don't enable their behavior. If family members try to help by covering up for their drinking and making excuses for them, they are playing right into their loved one's denial game. This is just enabling. Dealing with the problem openly and honestly is the best approach. And last, don't put off getting help for yourself. It's important to make sure you're getting the support you need as well. Lean on the people around you, and if you need to, reach out to a mental health professional to speak about the stress that you're going through. And back to me, know that we're praying for you and your loved one. Another anonymous wraps us up. My friend has a stalker who attends her church. He claims to hear voices from God that God has created her to be his bride. The minister has told the man that she isn't interested but refuses to ask him not to attend the church or even to attend a different service than my friend attends. She's anxious and I'm angry with how the minister handled this. Well, let's start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous's friend for peace and safety and for the individual at her parish who is in need of help that they might find access to the care they need to find healing and peace. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Well, this is a pretty difficult situation to be sure, and there may not be an easy answer to the situation, but let's start with this. Everyone deserves to feel safe and as safe and as comfortable as possible when they're at church. Of course, this can get complicated and difficult when we consider all the trauma that people have suffered in the context of the church, all the triggers that might bring up anxiety and other symptoms in the context of the church, and the fact that we attend church with a community of believers, including those who are suffering from chronic and severe mental illness or substance use disorders. Without knowing the details or the context of the situation you described, it would seem to me that the individual causing your friend anxiety falls into one of those two categories. They seem to be experiencing delusional thinking, in this instance, thinking that God has created your friend to be their bride, and possibly auditory hallucinations, hearing a voice in their mind that they believe is the voice of God. These symptoms can be caused by a variety of conditions from psychotic disorders like schizophrenia to mood disorders like bipolar disorder or major depression to substance use disorders to to even potentially a physical health condition like epilepsy, delirium, MS, and a few others. So that being said, this individual needs help needs connection to services that will help them manage their symptoms for their sake of their safety and the safety of those around them. And one would hope that the pastors at our parishes have some basic understanding of how to spot signs of mental illness, like you mentioned above, and how to offer help. Of course, people don't always accept help, and this can make connecting them to help very difficult. On the flip side, I want to make sure that we take up the challenge of fighting against the stigma of mental illness. And this includes that we shouldn't be uh, limiting someone's ability to attend the church they want or the mass they want because they have mental health experiences that make us uncomfortable. Certainly, if one's safety is at risk, we have to take steps to keep everyone safe, right? However, if we're feeling uncomfortable because of someone's mental health symptoms, but we're safe outside of that slight emotional discomfort, It can also be an opportunity for us to grow in our own understanding of how to interact with and possibly help those who are suffering. 
it's difficult to live in this tension and try and decide the best path forward. It's difficult to figure out how to handle a situation like this in a way that shows compassion to every person involved. It could be that your friend might need to change the mass that she attends or the church that she goes to if she feels so unsafe and there isn't any other way to help her get to be safe. But hopefully this individual can get the help they need as soon as possible, while your friend is also able to feel safe enough to engage in a way that gives compassion and understanding while also taking care of herself. I hope that helps. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.